We're going to be talking about worship today, talking about worship. And so we'll get there with Psalm 150. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hand up. We would love to bring you a Bible. The ushers have lots of Bibles in the back. And so just slide your hand up. They will bring it to you. We want God's word with you at all times. And so if you need one, go ahead and do that. So it is good to be back. Um, many, many of you know that we were on vacation. Um, our family went to Kelowna, and uh, we had some good time of rest and a good time of connecting with some really good friends over there as well. And, uh, and I also got to preach at Harvest Kelowna and connect with another one of our sister churches out there, and that was a real joy as well. But the rest was good. The rest is great. And, but we are happy to be back and happy to be planning towards the fall and excited for what the Lord is going to do in these people that are sitting in front of us here, in his church. Remember, the church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ. It is all of us collectively gathered together. And so we're excited to see his spirit work among us. And so today we've been, uh, we're going to be ending our series in the Psalms all summer. We've been spending time in the Psalms. And uh, we've had some guest preachers come as well. When I was away, we had Gavin Peacock uh, preaching through Psalm 1. And I heard excellent things Coming out of that as God's word worked with the spirit through Psalm 1. We also had last week Adam McAllister, one of our elders from the north, come down and he shared uh, Psalm 116. And so really, really happy that they could come and share that with us. And it's just great to be in the word together again this morning. And so this is the last psalm that we're going to be going to this summer. Of course, we have not exhausted the psalms. There's 150 of them. But we're going to close out with Psalm 150. Just a fitting psalm to close because it is the close of the psalms. And what we're going to see today is an example of, of how we are to be delighting in our Lord, to be delighting in God's presence. So Psalm 50 is going to help that, us with that. It's going to help us to know what it means to praise God both here and what's going on in heaven right now. In his presence, the angels are worshiping him as well. And so like I said, we're going to be talking about worship and praise what we do here, when we sing together as a church. Now let me start by asking you, is, is, is worship and music and praise, is that just like a non-issue in the church? Like there's never any battles over worship, music, the styles that we sing, all that kind of, there, there's never an issue with that, right? No? No, it is a common issue in the church. Actually, many churches have have fought over this. We, we, it actually has a name in evangelicals, the worship wars that go on in the church, right? What kind of songs are we singing? What kind of style are we playing? What kind of instruments are we using, right? And so today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to see in Psalm 150 that we're going to have some guidance for us as well. So like I said, many churches have divided over worship. Some have split over the introduction of instruments some churches are turning the lights out and turning the smoke on. Oh, my little notes aren't working right. Okay. While, while other churches are, are holding fast to what is old, right? They want to stick to what is, what is old. Like, this is tradition. We want to stay there, right? So we don't want anything new. And so like I said, worship is a touchy issue. And there can be feuding that goes along. The problem is, is, is this feuding usually lines up with preference, rather than with Scripture. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 150 to help us. The thing we need to know today is that God cares about worship. Worship matters to God. Worship matters to God. We're going to see in Psalm 150 that worship matters. 
And today we're going to get insight in what it means to praise God, to, to be God's people, lifting his name high in our hearts. And so today we're going to be looking, we have some questions, right? We have some questions as to how we should worship, where should we worship, why should we worship, and who should worship. Those are some of the questions we're going to get answered today out of the psalm. So let's turn to Psalm 150. If you're not already there, I will get there. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to ask the Lord's help. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your presence is with us. We thank you that you are a God that has not left his people. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to reside within each one of us and to reside in us collectively as your church. Lord, we pray today that we would be a people of praise, that we would be a people of worship, a people who, who long and, and desire for your very presence, those who, who desire the joy and satisfaction that only comes from you. And so they, would you do that work in us? Would you grow us in this area? Would you grow us in our worship, grow us in our praise? And in that, would you also grow us in the likeness of your Son? Father, we pray for renewed minds today, that you would teach us you would illuminate your scripture to us and that our hearts would be willing to receive. As, as all of us walk through this door on Sunday morning, we bring with us the world. We bring with us the effects of the week. We, we bring with us sin. And so we pray, Lord, that, that we would come in confession, in repentance, and faith. And we know, Lord, that you are the one that grants these things. And so we ask for you to Spill that cup over upon us of grace. Fill us with the joy of your salvation. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love how this psalm begins and ends with the same words. It begins with hallelujah. And it ends with hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what it means. Because that's what this is all about. This is all about the praise of the Lord, not ourselves. It's about the Lord. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. In fact, every verse in every psalm is meant to point us towards the Lord, to admonish us to praise Him. And then we see in this one here, we see 13 times over and over again, we are exhorted to praise Him Praise the Lord. That's why you exist. He is the object of our worship. Like I said, worship is not about us. It's not about impressing anybody. 
It's about adoring. It's about loving. It's about attributing glory to our King. So I pray as, as, as you would continue even this fall in the Psalms, as we close this right now, that you would continue in the Psalms yourself and allow that to lead you in praise of him in your own personal time, in your prayers. Use the Psalms to guide you. Use it to lead you towards J Jesus. Here we see in this first verse that we are oriented vertically towards the Lord and we have these questions of, of worship. And so we're going to see a first question being answered in this first verse. And, the, and it has to do with authentic worship. And the first question that gets addressed is this, is the location of praise. Where should worship take place? Where should worship take place? Verse 1 says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens, in his sanctuary, and in his mighty heavens. And so we see this psalm again, starting with the word praise. Praise means to extol, to proclaim, to declare the great value of someone, to boldly exclaim the greatness of someone or something, to praise him. It's the act of being enthralled. It's the, it's the the emotion of being in awe of someone. And you can't help but cry out of their greatness. Praise. And here we see the psalmist commanding the congregation to declare and extol this greatness to their Lord, their God. Remember, the Lord was, was, was the covenant God. And he was also the powerful creator. And we see this here. We see hallelujah, and we see hallelujah in the Hebrew. Yah at the end of hallelujah is the short form of the covenant name of God, the unspeakable name of God. And El speaks of the powerful creator. So both covenant God and powerful creator. And so as the Israelites would hear this, they would know this already, and they would say, okay, we know that we need to praise God, but where should we praise him? Where should we go to worship him? And the psalmist says, in his sanctuary. In fact, we get two locations. We see the first one, in his sanctuary, and praise him in his mighty heavens. Two locations, sanctuary and heavens. And so for the Israelites, the sanctuary would have made total sense to them. This would have reminded them of the tabernacle, God's presence in the tabernacle, and also later in the temple as well. This is where the epicenter of worship of God would take place with his chosen people. This is where all the sacrifices took place, and they knew that God's holy presence resided in the temple or in the tabernacle. And then we also see the mighty heavens, God's mighty heavens. Literally, this word here is firmament. This is also known as the vault of heaven. This is where the angels are. This is where God is outside of this world. And so we see God both here and we see him both there in his omnipresence. And so these two locations is where worship is to take place. One is where the covenant Lord is with his people 
and the other is where the mighty creator is with his angels, receiving eternal, ongoing worship. And so what we learn here out of this with regard to our own worship is that wherever God's presence is, worship is. Wherever God's presence is, worship is. And so as we fast forward from this time of the Israelites, the time of the Psalms, we fast forward to the New Testament, right? The arrival of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came to be Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God's very presence with us. Jesus came to fulfill and complete the temple system by his blood, the final lamb sacrifice. And then after he died on the cross for your sins, and as he rose from the grave, he also ascended to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. And in doing so, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. God's Holy Spirit now tabernacles within us. His very presence is within us. It's amazing. So no longer do we need the temple. God's presence is with his church. He's within you. No longer do we need a physical sanctuary. We are the sanctuary of God. The very presence of God tabernacles with you. Take some time this week and, and, and meditate upon that. God's very presence is within me if I am his. So God's presence is always with, is with his people, which means that right now he is with us. He is wherever his people are. Whenever we congregate together, his presence is with us collectively. And worship happens. We are here to worship. So whether that's here on Sunday mornings or, or even in our small groups during the week, in each other's homes, in our prayer meetings, in the park, with your family in your living room as you do your own family worship as well, or even just as you pursue the Lord on your own, worship happens. God's very presence is with you. Worship happens. Wherever God's people are, whenever they seek his face, it is a privilege and a joy to worship the Lord. And so with that understanding, as we think about the location of praise, we think about this continually happening in heaven. The angels continually lifting the name of the Lord high. Let's ask ourselves a question. Where am I worshiping the Lord? Where are you worshiping the Lord during the week? Outside of these walls, are you freely giving yourself to the worship of the Lord outside of church? As important and as awesome and as beautiful as this gathering is together, as we collectively lift the name of the Lord high. What are you doing during the week? Let's just think about all the moms out there. Lots of kids around, right? Gets a little hectic. Life is busy. Where are you taking the time to stop and worship and praise the name of the Lord. How about us men? How about us men? What are we doing during the week? As we're traveling to work, 
as we're, as we're going about the day with other men, what kind of time are we taking to worship the Lord? If worship takes place everywhere, and not just here, where else are you praising the Lord, men? Maybe you're, maybe you're out mountain biking, right? And you see the glory of the creation. I mean, you might not see it these days because of the smoke. But when that smoke's clear, you see the beauty of God's creation. Do you stop? And enjoy that creation and worship the Lord. As you travel the world, are you, are you seeing the glory of God and worshiping Him? How about our teenagers? How about our young ones? Did you know that you can praise the Lord during the week? You can worship the Lord yourself during the week. You can even plug in those little white earbuds in your ear, and find a worship song, and you can worship the Lord all by yourself. You can. God's worship takes place everywhere. Wherever his people are, he can receive worship. About 10 years ago, as God began doing a lot of transformation in my life, he used worship. He used praise a lot in my transformation. Back then, I used to listen to all kinds of of music, all kinds of different music. I grew up in the grunge era. Some of that music would get a little dark, and, and I was holding on to that stuff. Uh, and, and he began to change that in me. He began to transform me. He began to use worship inside the church and outside of the church to change me. You know, before I, before I really got serious about the Lord, my CD collection, and I know that the young people are going to say, what is a CD collection? We used to have to carry around a bunch of CDs with us if we wanted to listen to music. My CD collection included all kinds of garbage. And I remember being convicted of that. And I remember tossing CDs out the window of my vehicle, just saying, that stuff is dark. That stuff is not helping me. And I began to collect solid worship and praise music. And I'd play it in my truck when I'd go to work. And many times on the way home from work, I used to drive hours, I would be brought to a place of deep abiding joy in, the Christ, in Christ just by worshiping along with good worship music. You can worship God wherever you are. Put that into practice this week. His Spirit is with you. And you can join the angels in heaven wherever you are in praise of Him. Charles Spurgeon would say it this way. He said, praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. By grace we learn to sing, and in glory we continue to sing. What will some of you do when you get to heaven? If you go on grumbling all the way. Do not hope to get to heaven in that style, but now begin to bless the name of the Lord. So friends, the, the location of worship is everywhere. Everywhere you are, everywhere God's people are. So don't confine your praise, don't confine your worship to this place. Take it outside of these walls. Continue. And with that exhortation from the psalmist to praise God in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens, to praise him everywhere, David also reminds the congregation that motivation for our praise is the gospel itself. The motivation is the gospel itself. And this answers our second question. What is our motivation of praise? 
What should fuel our worship? Verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. If you don't really get the gospel, if you don't really know of God's greatness, if you don't know of his mighty deeds, you'll never be motivated to authentically praise the Lord. Authentic praise is wrought in a heart that is transformed by the Lord. So David gives us the why of praise here. Why are we to praise? Why is God to be praised on earth? And why is he to be praised in heaven? It's because of his mighty deeds. And it's according to his excellent greatness. It's because of who he is and what he has done. That drives our worship. So is your personal singing and your praising, even here and, and alone, is that founded upon the everlasting truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this question. Is it okay to just sing about what we think about God? Is it okay to just sing about who we think God is? Is that okay? Or should we be informing our worship based on truth? It needs to be based on truth. It really does. And so where do we find this truth? Where do we find this? Where should we go to orient our heart rightly towards the Lord, who deserves all of our praise? Where do we find this excellent greatness that the psalmist is talking about. Where do we see these mighty deeds? Well, we see it in Scripture, right? We see it in God's Word. So if you want to truly praise the living God, you must first run to the truth of the living God. In His Word. In His Gospel. So I love, I love new Christian music. I really do. Always on the search for new Christian music to sing. The Bible teaches us to sing a new song to the Lord. And so I love that. I'm fully on board as a church. We're, we're introducing new songs. I don't know about your background, some of you, the stuff that you're singing. Maybe some of our stuff seems a little different. I don't know. But we're always on the search for good, solid, Christian praise music to sing. But there are many songs being sung in evangelicalism, in the church today, and on the radio, that songs that sound great, songs that sound spiritual, songs that sound Christian, but they are not firmly rooted in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have solid theology underpinning it. There are many songs that are melodically beautiful, musically excellent, and I would even say that these artists are honestly aiming at trying to produce praise within us for the Lord. Extolling praise to his name. But very often, yet they miss the mark of solid theology that needs to drive our worship. And so I want to give you a few examples. A few examples. Now, this may be a song in your playlist, and that's okay, right? 
I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show you a few examples of some things that you need to be watching for. We want to teach you about how to discern what you are singing to. And, so, and, and with that, we want you to know that as a church, we really hold worship high. We, we hold praise high. The elders are involved in approving what we sing. We're very intimately involved in that. And so this first song, we're going to start with a classic worship song from the 90s. All right? And just so you know, like, I sing these songs, too. But if you look close, you got to be careful. So this song from the 90s, one of the lines here says, Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Okay? Anybody sing that song? We sang that lots in our church. Loved it. And so I get the intent of this, these lyrics, Right, highlighting the incredible sacrifice and love that God has for his people. But to say that Jesus Christ, in his suffering, in his final breath, in his crucifixion, that his highest thoughts, his above all thoughts, are me, isn't accurate. It isn't accurate. It's not right, actually. It actually undermines right theology here. In fact, it supports a real me-centered gospel. What Jesus held highest in his thoughts as he suffered and as he died on the cross was not us. It was the glory of God. That was his highest thoughts. Yes, we were up there in his thoughts, but the glory of the Father was his highest thoughts. Get another example for you. It actually comes from a song that we've sung here, a song that we've we've sung in last fall. In fact, it's it's the number one song right now on CCLI, which is the Christian charts of what churches are singing today. Number one song I checked yesterday, and the lyrics go like this: "You were the Word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High." Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you our Christ. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love was greater. What could separate us now? So I love a lot of, that, a lot of what's being said there. A lot of it is very true. But this, this, this line, you didn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, you brought heaven down. Now, I, I, again, I appreciate what, what the artist is trying to say, trying to highlight, the, again, the sacrificial love of God to save us. But to say, you didn't want heaven without us, it can come across that somehow heaven, the presence of God, is incomplete without people. And that's just not true. Within the Trinity, within the Godhead, God is completely, perfectly, eternally satisfied within himself. He doesn't need us. And so this song again points us to a me-centered gospel. Right? Yes, God loves us, wants us to be with him. But it's not that he needs us, not that he's incomplete without us. It is because of his grace and his mercy that he loves us. You guys want one more song to look at? All right, here's, here's actually kind of a recent song that has had some criticism, so we'll just bring it up here. 
Um, it's a really popular song right now as well, and, and the lines go like this. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so kind to me. That's all good. Love that. And then it says, over the, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. What would be the troubling part of that? Like 99% of that is pretty good. Except for this line, this reckless love of God. To be reckless means to be careless. It means to be daring, to be foolhardy, hasty, ill-advised, imprudent, negligent, risky. Is that the love of God? Is he negligent? Is he risky in his love? Is he foolhardy in his love? No. Our Lord is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. His plans are always perfect and right. When he sent his son to to earth, this was not a risky plan. This was a perfect plan. Although that word risky is attractive, it is theologically inaccurate. This word reckless is a reckless way to be portraying the love of God. And so we have to be careful. We, We must praise God on earth with our seatbelts fastened to the word of truth. We need to inform our praise with what God's word says about him and what he has done, not what we think or what's attractive about our own culture. We must sing of his mighty acts. We must sing of his excellent greatness with great care and discernment. And so we are careful here. We are careful what we see. We want songs that are passionate. We're a church that wants to be contemporary without compromise. We love the hymns here. We regularly have hymns because they are so theologically accurate. But we don't just hold fast to hymns. In fact, when you look at some of the hymns, there is some theological inaccuracies being sung in some of the old hymns as well. And so we are careful. We scrutinize what we sing and so that we can confidently say that that we are praising God according to his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. We want to be fueled by what he has done, fueled by what he has said. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect in this. It's always something we're working on, and we're, we're always even open to your own feedback as well. So you can talk to us at any time. That we want to be about God's gospel and his glory in what we sing, and this needs to be the motivation of our praise. So that's not non-controversial, is it? Worship is, is, is tricky to figure out sometimes. And so we need to praise God everywhere, sanctuary in the heavens. We need to fuel our worship with the gospel. But then, here's, here's another one that's going to be fun to walk through. How should we worship? How should we worship? How should we praise the Lord? The manner of our praise. How should we worship? Verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So if we're to read this straight, 
Josh is going to have to go to Long McQuaid and buy a lot more instruments right now, right? We're going to need a lot more volunteers to come and fill this orchestra that we need up front here, right? Well, in the Old Testament at this time, over the, over the years of Israel's time in captivity and then in the Promised Land, they began to collect different instruments, common instruments of the world to be used in the worship of of God. And so we see here, we see trumpets, we see ram horns, the shofar. That's the first one there, trumpet sound. And these were to be used on, on special holy days. It was, it was used in the announcement of kings. And more importantly, it was used in the announcement of the arrival of the presence of God. Exodus 19.6, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. The glory of God was on the mountain and it was being announced. Now the shofar, it wasn't really a melodic instrument. This was an announcing instrument. I don't know if we're going to have plans to bring a shofar in here for us to be joining our worship team. But it was proclaiming the sound and the presence of God. And then we also see here the harp and the lyre. These are both stringed instruments. They were used by the Levitical priesthood in their temple worship. Instruments that would often accompany singing. And together with the trumpet and harps and lyres, they were used to call down the presence of God. To announce and welcome the presence of God among them. And then we see here, we see tambourines, and we see dancing going on. And the inner Baptist in me is getting a little nervous about this, <laughs> right? This speaks of a festival within the temple courts. You see, it, it, all of this is taking place. It starts in the Holy of Holies with, with the shofar and the trumpet blast. And then you see these stringed instruments moving out to the temple where the priests were. And then you see this moving out into the courtyards. You, you hear this loud jubilee. People are coming and they're celebrating the presence of the Lord. And they are dancing. What's going on here is, is a festival of the victory of God. Their God is victorious, and he is mighty to save. And we see these symbols. They have symbols. First, there's these sounding symbols. That's, that's the symbols being rubbed together. And then we have loud crashing symbols announcing the victory of God. And so they're joining the angels right here. They're joining heaven in worship of their king. They're recounting the mighty works of God, the excellent greatness of his name. And they cannot help but worship. They cannot help but praise. They are not ashamed. They're not afraid to worship him. And so what can we learn from this? We have this same God. He is very present and among us. He is eternally victorious over our sin. What can we learn? We see, we see great exuberance here. We see great passion here. We should be somewhat like them, worshiping the Lord with exuberance, worshiping with all that we have, using the instruments that we have today to worship the Lord, 
playing them with excellence. Although we may not be clashing cymbals together, we need to be rejoicing the Lord with loud gladness. Maybe we'll, we'll even move a little bit when we're, when we're singing. Maybe we'll let the Lord's gospel motivate us to worship him with our bodies. God is so worthy of our praise. He is so worthy. He's so, so full of excellence. And he is so victorious over our sin. Now you may say, I'm just not that expressive of a person, right? Actually, I'm a bit of an introvert, and just coming to church is hard for me, right? Okay? I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm an introvert as well. I'm, if you're looking at the spectrum, I'm more on the introverted side. God has moved me towards the middle a little more over my life. You know, I don't, I don't feel naturally comfortable expressing myself, especially in my past in church. That wasn't me at all, right? But God can change you and grow you in that as well. Let me just ask you this. Maybe you've heard this before. Think about your favorite hockey team. Think about them making it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Picture yourself right there at the game, on the ice. What are you doing? You're going ballistic for your team. They won the cup. You're going to be shouting their name. You're going to be, you might even paint yourself up, right? You're loving it. You're, you, it's everything at that moment. And then sometimes we come to church, our hands are glued to our hips, and, and we are just solemn, right? We can talk about that in a little bit. Why do we sometimes worship God in coldness? Why do we worship him with staleness? Why do we worship with apathy? Sometimes. Why do we act like we're not even moved by him? Friends, we see throughout Scripture that when God is worshipped, he moves the heart, which then moves his people to great exuberance for who he is. So you ask yourself, am I moved by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I moved by the mighty works of the Lord? Am I moved by the excellent greatness of my king. Now, I'd say for a long time in my life, I, that's not the church that I belong to, okay? I grew up in a, in a Baptist, small Baptist church in northern British Columbia, and I married a girl from a Pentecostal church. Needless to say, our worship styles at our churches were just a little bit different, Okay? In fact, they were quite a bit different. The Pentecostals were, were definitely a lot more expressive. They were raising hands. They were moving. They were shouting. They were dancing. And then you had us Baptists, again, standing at attention. We were, we were singing loudly, but don't you dare raise a hand. If you did in the church, you got a few daggers looking at you. People like, who is this guy? That was our church. You know, the Baptists would call the Pentecostals the Holy Rollers, and they would call us the Frozen Chosen. <laughs> That's who we were. And so the reason I bring this up is not to shame either side, not to pick apart each other's backgrounds or preferences. We all come from different backgrounds here as well. But I think we can bring attention to this and acknowledge that we could probably grow in this area, right? We can grow in this. 
So our theology as a church would, would very much line up with historic, Baptist, Reformed, leading doctrine. And with that sometimes comes a reservedness. Can even come a stiffness, okay? Now, within our churches as well, all over the world, this is different. We have churches in the Caribbean. We have churches in Africa. And they are far from that. I watched a video of one of, our, one of our guys here, one of our pastors from the U.S., and he went over to Uganda to visit a church. And take this the right way. This was the whitest guy you could imagine, okay? And he's going to Africa to this church, and they are dancing, they are singing, they are jumping with joy the glory of God. And then they got him to start <laughs> dancing with them. It looked very uncomfortable, but uh, he was there. And so we know that some churches are, are more physically expressive depending on culture, and that's okay. I get this. I know we as Western Canadians, we're pretty conservative people, right? We're pretty reserved people. I don't know what it's like in Bulgaria, Josh, but you're not that reserved of a guy, right? <laughs> so even from person to person, we have differences. Like I said, there's introverts, there's extroverts, and that's going to play into this as well. But what I want to point out is, is this. Scripture shows us that there is nothing wrong with being physically expressive in your worship of the Lord. In fact, it encourages it. As you look through God's Word, I have a list of Scriptures here. You can check those out on your own. When you see people worshiping, you see people clapping. You see people singing. You see people bowing down. They're kneeling. They're lifting their hands. They're shouting. They're playing instruments, and they are dancing. They're standing in awe. Physical expression of the Lord is okay. So, these expressions, they're not just for those who are the charismatic, okay? There's no condemnation of that in Scripture. In fact, I would say even we as a church who really hold God's word high and his gospel high in our hearts, we should be the ones who are even more expressive. We know that the background of some of the more expressive churches aren't found on solid theology. But those who have solid theology should be all the more expressive. And so I just want to encourage us to remove any obstacles of tradition that are keeping you from fully expressing your joy to the Lord. Nobody's telling you to try to do something outside of your personality. Push yourself within your personality to be exuberant towards the Lord. Feel free to, to offer passionate worship to the Lord and know that this is a safe place to do that. Nobody is here to judge you. The Lord is looking upon your heart. And so you, you found that heart in the mighty deeds and the excellence of God and allow it to move you. It's okay. Bob Coughlin, who is a key worship leader in our circles, he says, our focus should be exalting God in a way that magnifies both his infinite holiness and his unfathomable grace, which has brought us near to him through Jesus Christ. Our culture, personality, or background doesn't ultimately determine what that looks like. God does. So may our churches be filled with the kind of truth and expression that most clearly communicates to others of the one we worship. And so this psalm has, has answered all, already who we worship, 
right? Praising the Lord. Where should we worship? Everywhere. And then how should we worship? Of course, that's a larger topic as well, but I pray that you would consider that. And then we see in verse 6 that it's going to instruct us who should worship. Who should worship? The participants of praise, who should worship? Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, as we just witnessed this, this glorious expression of praise with all of these instruments, this succession from the Holy of Holies out through the temple, out through the courts, to the tambourines and to the dancing. What's left is the actual singing. We see this breath here. Up to this point, there really wasn't a mention of singing. But now we see David calling every person in the whole world who has ever existed to worship the Lord with the breath of their voice. Lifting their voices to the Lord in this spoken, vocal praise of him. Everyone. As God breathed life into the first human in Adam, the primary purpose of that breath was to return to the Lord in praise. That's the purpose of that breath. God has given us breath to bring glory to himself. Although your breath is vital to to life and many other things, the primary purpose that you have air in your lungs is to praise the Lord. It's the primary purpose. So that you would turn your eyes to him, that you would open your mouth to him, that you would praise his glorious name. And what's beautiful is that we can do that now. We can praise the Lord now. And it's something we will be doing for all eternity. The most natural thing for God's creation to do is to worship him. But the problem, friends, is that most of the world around us is not worshiping the true and living God. In fact, they can't worship him. They haven't heard. So when David says here, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, this is a call for us to go and share that news with them. To share this good news that they they don't have to die in their sin. That their breath can praise the Lord if they turn to Jesus. That he came to earth. That he put on flesh for them. To live a sinless, perfect life. The life that they could never live. And to die the death that they deserved. And on the cross as he died. And as he, he rose from the grave, he declares sinners righteous. He gives them his breath of life so that they could worship him. So this is a call for us to go. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's our purpose outside of praising the Lord is that others would praise the Lord. And so we have to go. 
And when we do that, when a sinner turns from his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ and begins to praise the Lord, the Lord receives all the glory. Friends, we've got to share this message. There are millions of people in this world, in our country, in our city, who are dying in their sin and can never worship the Lord. They don't know of his mighty works and his excellent greatness. They can't discover that by just looking at the mountains, by looking at the sky. In fact, when they look at the sky and they look at the mountains, they know that God is there. But they can't know him in a saving way. We have to share it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God is calling each one of us. That's not just my calling. That's all of our calling to share that truth. That they can praise the Lord. Their breath can praise him. So we need to go share it. John Piper says this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That's the reason we go. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Around this world, people are worshiping creeping things. They are worshiping wood. They are worshiping everything else besides the living and true God. They want to worship. And they're grabbing everything they can to worship. But there is one God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you and I have that gold. We have that gospel. We have that truth. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So where should worship take place? Everywhere. What should motivate our praise? The gospel. How should we worship? With passion. And who should worship? Every person. We need to go. We need to share that. Worship matters to the Lord. It really does. And it should matter to us. And that void of worship in the world needs to matter to us as well. And so we are a going church. We are a worshiping church. We are a sending church. We believe in purposeful disciple-making, courageous evangelism, and church planting around the world. Because we want to go. We know that this message has to go. It's really not about here. It's about the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this this short psalm and how it, how it concludes the psalm so well. Just remembering back to Psalm 1 and how, how we are called to, to delight in the Lord. That our true happiness is in delighting in the Lord. And then we see this psalm closing with delighting in you, worshiping you, praising you, and we thank you for that. Father, may, may we be a people who are are worshiping you in spirit and truth. And also looking outside of ourselves and seeing a world that is lost and dying that needs to hear about you. So use us to that end. Like we sung today, we want to see the enemy run. We want to see your victory come. And we know that you aim to do that through us. And so we ask for your help, strengthen your spirit. 
to follow you and to do your will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.